if you're concerned about which markets you should be in, all you have to do is go find a bigger guy, like a bigger multifamily operator, 100 units, 200 units, that's doing a serious renovation plan. And if they're doing a serious renovation plan, they could draft off of those smart, smarter guys. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. The two things that that, I, that we're focused on are more deals and, and more, more, more capital. That's perfect. I mean, that's really, <laughs> when it comes down to it, yeah. that's what it is. Well, that's where I'm focused on. And I am like, I am a financial mercenary. Okay. When it comes to, and I am, I have a single, you know, I have, we have five, there's five of us in this partnership and we are just a SEAL team. It's the best way I can describe it. And we only do multifamily. We don't do student housing. We don't do industrial. We don't even invest in multifamily that's got a high concentration of students. We don't even do that because we know that we're only good at what we're only good at. And it's just market rate multifamily. Now, some of that includes could include affordable or ground up construction. My point is we are just laser focused on multifamily in top markets in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't look at, and, and I'm the uh, chief investment officer, which is just a fancy name for the acquisition guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been in this business ever since college. And most of this was, uh, and most of this will be in my memoirs, which is, I think I said, I told you, the book is going to be called How I Bought a Billion Dollars in My Underwear. And oh, nice. uh, that's not a joke. I've been in this business ever since college. Geez, even before, I was just telling my wife last night how we were watching some show and, and it just came up. And I'm originally from East Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. is if anybody knows anything about Los Angeles, it's kind of the, the, the poor side of town. And my, my family has immigrated to Los Angeles in a covered wagon, so to speak, three or four generations ago and became natural citizens. And, and out of my father or fathers went to Vietnam. My uncles went to Vietnam. My grandfathers were in World War II. We are from Los Angeles. And I was the first one to go to college. And I was the first one to, and the call, and I went to a state school, you know, like my parents couldn't afford, you know, didn't have two extra nickels to rub together. And you know, the Lord works in strange ways. And I went to college and I was an accounting major. And I mean, lucky enough to get into a public accounting firm, which was by sheer miracle. I got my first job out of college was at Ernst & Young in, in Newport Beach. Uh, I was basically an intern. And uh, 
I took whatever job I could in public accounting and I, you know, I shined shoes, you know, did whatever I had to do to be in that business. I swallowed a lot of pride as you do when, you know, low on the totem pole. But lo and behold, that office in Newport Beach focused on just commercial real estate clients primarily. Yeah. yeah. And unbeknownst to me, that's where I learned cash flow modeling by looking at those that came ahead of me and working on clients and working on land development and, and stuff like that. And, you know, quite frankly, Abel, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I was just lucky to be in there going to work every day. I was lucky to be there. Where and, was this uh, at? What, to be what was the, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable the accounting the company firm. or whatever. Oh, this is the yeah, accounting, the accounting firm, okay, firm okay, was, I gotcha. was actually called Kenneth Leventhal, who was a big UCLA guy. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, who eventually was recruited. Now he's the namesake at, at the School of Accounting at USC, and uh, oddly enough. But uh, I was there when it was gobbled up by Ernst & Young, which is it's one of the only large public accounting firms still standing, large, large public accounting firms. And I was lucky enough to be there when that happened. I was lucky enough to get recruited away to go work for a public home builder. Mm-hmm. And at or around that time, I was an accountant. You know, I bought one of those late night real estate courses, uh, Carlton Sheets. <laughs> yeah, and, that's uh, a, his name gets thrown out quite often on my show. That's for sure. You could ask my wife, who I've been married to for 22 years now. I don't know why she's still around, but thank you. We've got three kids. I got one in college. Uh, I've got one going to college. And I've got a 13-year-old who's just a star water polo player, like her mother, Wow. But yeah, I was fine. I read that Carlton. I bought that Carlton Sheets thing late at night. I and I'm, boy, I just really immersed myself in that. Sounds and like I it, like man, with the with the, with the billion to, dollars of business in your underwear. It sounds like you definitely. Uh, <laughs> to, I mean, cover to cover. I read that thing, and you could ask my wife. We'd we'd be driving up to Northern California. My in-laws live up in, in Northern California, and boy, I was. I remember being in the passenger seat. And I was reading and taking notes and. And then, so I went off and, and I bought five single family homes. And this is probably in the mid nineties in, yeah. in central California, yeah. which if anybody knows in the city of Bakersfield is a very tertiary market, working class folks, but I was buying homes anywhere from 75,000 to 150,000. Mm-hmm. And so I had bought my fifth phone home. So I convinced somebody to give me the down payment and to sign on the notes. Yeah. Okay. And I found the deals, which wasn't that hard. They were VA foreclosures. Okay. You'll hear me say a lot, like a lot of people say a lot, which is timing is everything. And it was just a great time for that widget. And I bought five deals. And I told my wife, I said, you know, this is all I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do contract jobs forever. Meaning I'll go find some accounting jobs that, you know, that, that need me for two, three, four months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to keep buying real estate. I had caught the bug and I was like, this is what, this is my calling. Yes. And Abel, it hit me when I bought my fifth house in Bakersfield. And this is probably like 97. The neighbor was this, he had a sign out in front of his house. And, and this older gentleman, Mexican gentleman, really looked like the gardener. Yeah. He was going back and forth. And so finally I got in a, you know, enough gumption to go ask him. Hey, you know, how much do you charge? You know? And he's like, well, I, this is my house. I live here. And I'm like, Oh really? I, I said, I'm that. sorry for assuming. 
you know, his Spanish was just as good as, or my Spanish is just as good as his English, which is horrible. And so I started talking to him and, he, and I said, oh, you're selling your house. And he's like, oh yeah, this is one of my houses. And I said, how many do you have? And I was floored when he said that he owned over 50 houses. <laughs> you and know I just said, oh, go, you go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I just said, you know, one, my pride was just knocked to the ground. I, yes. I think I was, I don't know, I was 30 or 29 or 30. And, and I said, but boy, I mean, this guy. And then I, I asked him, I said, how long are you going to keep going? And he said, well, I think I'm going to buy another 50 homes. And I'm, how long is it going to take you? Well, it'll probably take me another year. And I was just <laughs> like. He's crushing it. I, I just, everybody, this country, regardless of what's going on today, yesterday, or I, last four years or whatever, this country is the greatest country that provides us the most opportunity in the whole world. Mm -hmm. This place is still the best. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. And if this Mexican gentleman could do what he did back then, mm -hmm. now who knows how it panned out, but if he could do back then with his broken you know, English, anyone could do this business. Yeah. And that's what I like so much about it. Yeah. What, um, a, what an amazing, you know, kind of uh, intro here for us. I think exactly what you mentioned, I, I I have had the same thing happen to me where I kind of have to pick my pride up out, off the ground and then also kind of just chide myself or remind myself, man, don't prejudge anybody. I have talked to in the real estate world in more than a few kind of events or educational seminars or what, you know, all the things that we go to where just somebody unexpectedly, I, I meet them and, you know, whether it's a broken English or they look different mm -hmm. or they don't look they, like they could do it. And when I start asking about, you know, their experience, it's 50, 60, a hundred <laughs> of anything. It doesn't matter what the heck it is. I go, man, you've done, you know, 50, 60 houses. And, and, and so I was like, yeah, yeah. It, it took me about two years, but I got it. And I go, oh my gosh. The opportunity it, and the second part is like, the opportunity is just amazing here. Right. It really is. And it, if you look at statistics and how wealth, real wealth is generated, I mean, it, folks always come back to real estate and stocks. Well, geez, I mean, I, I do a fair amount of day trading now or swing trading uh, just as a hobby. But boy, with real estate is where I've, where I've made the majority of my wealth because there's no job short of being a high paid, high paid athlete or a high paid entertainer. Yeah. There's Sports no job. W2. Yeah. W2 yeah, job. That's going to pay you, pay you enough money to be, you know, to, to really have the lifestyle that, that we would all like to have, you know, plus or minus something. So uh, it's really real estate and it's just that it, it, it just comes down to leverage. And really this is like, this is the blocking and tackling of wealth generation is real estate. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Forrest. This has been a, an amazing introduction. I really appreciate kind of your backstory here so far. And I think it's, uh, it's amazing. Our guest, if you are listening to this and you have kind of stumbled upon Mr. Forrest Corral, is it Forrest Corral? Yeah, it's, it's Corral, like horse Corral, like OK, okay Corral. Gotcha. OK, gotcha. I was like, I, make sure I'm pronouncing your last name right, Forrest. But if you've stumbled upon, I would go to LinkedIn. I would follow him, connect with him, get in his world, learn a little bit more about it. You'll find his partner, Brian Burke, has done a ton of business as well, you know, really together as a partnership team. 
but they've literally completed billions of transactions, billions of dollars of multifamily real estate, 25 years of experience in the industry. I mean, you guys have, you know, basically acquired, renovated, developed, disposition, about 20,000 plus multifamily units. So, you know, coming in from your background as, as a prior CFO for public and private companies, you know, doing the reporting, you know, working with all the partnerships, I'm sure all of that ties into your position or role within this team, but you guys have done a, just amazing things. And Brian was talking about, uh, you know, the fund that you guys are recently or that you filled this huge number. If I got it right, it was like 50 million or something crazy. And uh, you guys are doing exceptional work over there. So thank you very much. And why don't we talk about what you're doing today? You know, Forrest, tell us a, a little bit about, you know, your role in the, in the company. And then I'd love to kind of, you know, dial a, a couple steps back. So somebody that's, you know, would love to be in your position sometime in the future, they know how you got there. That'd be awesome. Sure. I could be here all day, Abel, honestly, just talking and talking one, that's just who I am as a talker. But two, there's so much to talk about. It's so rich, you know, it's so rich in knowledge. And so let me let the cat out of the bag first and, and say that, you know, if anybody's, if anybody's thinking about being in this business, it's, it's just about starting. And it's, it's about not giving up. And Michael Jordan said, I failed my way to the top. Meaning, you know, he just shot, he just kept on shooting and shooting and shooting until he kept on making, making, making. So you learn things along the way. As you mentioned, I've been in this business for since college. I'm, I'm 51, 52. I've been in this business for 25 years-ish. Then, you know, just, it's just a miracle that I, that I was, uh, you know, poor kid from East LA, just, you know, ran into the right people at the right time and, and just didn't quit. And that's really the secret of the success is, you know, the Lord blesses and, and sometimes he takes away. But what I will continue to add to what I've done I've acquired over a hundred assets, over 150 units. So it's probably, it's easily 18 plus thousand units over time, over the 25 years that I've been in this business. Say that number one more time. So we really get it. How many? Yeah, I've been, I've over 18,000 multifamily units, which is comprised of over a hundred separate deals, north of 150 units. I've converted thousands and thousands of apartments to condos. I have raised billions and billions of dollars. When I was with the public home builder, I probably did over $750 million with an investment bank that is no longer with us. Let's see, I have, I've also acquired a couple thousand, a couple thousand single family homes, almost a couple thousand single family homes over that same period. I've done land development, I've done vertical construction. Some of these things I'm better at than others. But I'll roll forward, fast forward to today, which is the current partnership that I'm in, which is Praxis Capital, headed by Brian Burr, who's just a wonderful person. I would say, if you wanted to follow anybody, follow Brian Burke and what the things that he has to say. He's just great at articulating the simple. There are five partners at Praxis, me being one of them. As I mentioned earlier, I'm the chief investment officer, uh, which is just a fancy term for saying I'm the acquisition guy. We're a uh, vertically integrated multifamily group. Uh, we self-manage. We do all of our own construction. We do everything, the five of us do. And it's really about leveraging the talents of all the partners in the partnership. There are several redundancies. 
We have a CFO, which who acts as the acquisition guy for any, any widgets west of the Mississippi. I chase all the deals east of the Mississippi. We have a very, I would say, uh, systematic approach to looking at deals. The deals come in two ways. They either come in from the brokerage community or they come in with, by way of people that sellers that I already know or we already know. Yeah. And we leverage the fund that we created or that we raised recently, the $50 million. And what we do is you look at it like a credit card. What we do is we never chase a deal where we could not tell the seller with a straight face that we have the capital to close. So you never want to BS anybody. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. need to get yourself into a position to where if you say that you want to buy this TV, your credit card is going to work when you mm-hmm. go swipe it. There's nothing worse than being at Starbucks and swiping a credit card and it's not working and there's just a huge line behind you, right? And it's, <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. And, you know, yeah. you know, the comedy of errors always happens to everybody, you know, whether we use the wrong card or we're over our limit. But the fund really acts as our leverage to tell sellers that we have the ability to close or in other words, certainty of execution, which is another fancy term for just saying, hey, we're going to close this thing when we say we're going to close this thing. Mm-hmm. And we look at widgets, the way that we look at widgets or deals, look at it like a big funnel. And we throw deals into the funnel and there's several layers of distillation. And the first la- layer of, and, and those deals could come in, like I mentioned, on market or off market. Okay. And on market, meaning they come in from brokers, off market, they come in from sometimes from brokers still, but a lot of times I'm, t- I'm calling my colleague and I was thinking of somebody who's in San Francisco and I'm like, you know, I should really call, you know, X, Y, Z and see if he's got anything he wants to sell me this quarter. You yeah. know, it's really almost like that. And at the very end of this, I'll say, I started this whole thing off by saying we need more capital and we need more widgets. We're solely focused on those two things. If anybody can help us, that's where our greatest need is. We only chase deals uh, in top markets with great rental forecasted growth. We look at third-party reports. We do a study every year. I don't know if Brian mentioned it. We do a study, which is an amalgam of several industry, public industry reports, and we comprise them all together. And before the, the start of every year, we sit and say, okay, which markets do we want to be in? And have they changed from last year? For instance, Orlando used to be a darling of of this business, Orlando, Florida, pre-pandemic. But post-pandemic, boy, it's been kind of, you know, deals are still getting done in Orlando, and a, a lot of deals, or a fair amount of deals, but it's not quite the darling it once was. So this year, we've decided to shift our focus away from certain sub-markets in Orlando and migrate them over more into Tampa. By way of example, we sold a deal in Tampa that we bought in 2017. I think we purchased, purchased it for about 17 million. All in, we were, we were into it for about 21 million. And we just sold it post-pandemic for about 30 million. Wow. And that was a, a three-year turn. We renovated approximately 75% of the interiors. We spent about a million and a half on the exterior. We put all new roofs. You know, I could be here all day talking about that widget in Tampa. But we closed that deal back in September. And very quickly, I identified a deal about a mile and a half away from this asset. And same thesis, uh, mid-80s vintage, 
similar construction on the renovations, similar hold period, et cetera, et cetera, was, was the future business plan. And we closed that deal, I think in November of this year, post pandemic, mm-hmm. we all in that deal is probably about a, a 35 to $40 million deal for, for approximately 240, 50 assets. Mm-hmm. Just to semi boast, we bought that deal for about 125 a door, a unit, mm-hmm. and we sold our previous deal down the street for 130 a unit, and a deal just closed this last week. Our the next door neighbor to the property we bought in Tampa, it just closed for like 150 thousand a unit. So doing All the right. little math, you could say, yeah. hey. We punched out of a deal for 130 mm-hmm. in September, and we bought a deal for two months later. We bought a deal for 124, similar, similar widget, similar size, similar vintage, similar business plan, and a deal that, and a deal, a good comp was that the neighboring asset sold or closed for 150 a door, 150 a unit. So we feel like already we're coming out of the gate with a lot of imputed equity from a basis standpoint, we have another asset currently under contract in Tucson, in Tucson, Arizona. It's about a 35 to $40 million asset built in the early 2000s, never been renovated. We're going to do a total renovation of the interiors and the exteriors. It's in a great part of town. We love that market. We love Arizona. Let's just say we love the redder the state, the better for us, a political standpoint. Yeah. Let's see what else we doing. We, um, I've identified a handful of, of targets that we're, we're currently chasing. One in, in North Houston right now. Let's see, another one in, in uh, West Atlanta. We're all over the place in, in top markets. And, and this is, should come to no surprise to many of your viewers or, or many institutional buyers that they all chase the puck in, in, in markets where, you know, empirically they can look at reports that are going to tell them or support their thesis that jobs and, and population growth are, are two of the greatest drivers of a future rental growth. So uh, it's no surprise that, you know, the Dallas's of the world, uh, the Atlanta's, the, you know, the Tampa's of the world are doing well. So that's what we're doing right this second. Oh, we're in the middle of selling. I think we're uh, right in the middle of selling three or four deals. Yeah. We bought in 18 in 18 where in the last four years, last three or four years, We've done approximately $350 million worth of business, mm-hmm. which represents about three, anywhere from somewhere in the low 3,000, about 3,000 units in the last uh, three to four years. We're cycling out of some of those. I think I mentioned the, the deal in, in Tampa. We bought that in 17. There's a deal, another deal we bought in 17 that we're cycling out of in Atlanta that'll be a, a really good win for a big win for us. Boy, we're typically lower leverage guys. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, we don't lever up our properties any greater than, at least on paper, we tell people that we don't do it any greater than 75%, but in practice, it's more like 65%, just as the way the math works with sizing new debt. What else can I tell you? I mean, <laughs> let me pause you real quick because you have said, I didn't really want to interrupt, but you've, you know, you guys are just all over the place in terms of volume, action, the, insights that you're capitalizing on, the way you're doing it, the structure and the formation, you know, like you said, the yearly market meetings, trying to determine where to go and then execution like crazy, raising a ton of capital to do a ton of deals. 
So the deals are always going to come in and out. And that's, I guess, part of the bill, billions and billions of dollars of uh, real estate that you guys get into. So wow. that that's awesome, man. Let me, if I can, there was a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to go back so that I think our, our listeners can kind of get this insight from you because I'm, I'm sure there's some good gems that, that we're missing here. One of them is when you review those markets every year, you check it out. What are a couple of those mechanics or metrics or data points that you're reviewing so that some of us can get, you know, that insight and say, okay, well, let me look at my submarket. Let me look at my submarket the same way that the billion dollar buyers are. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to. I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Right. Well, I will tell you, it's it's less about gut feeling and it's more about third-party reports. You know, if, you know, my wife doesn't like when I just, when I pump her up with good news, she wants to see the results, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so in the same way, anybody who wants to be in this business sh- should be in markets where there's positive population growth, positive job growth. Those are the two greatest drivers of demand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't say that's all you have to look for, but if you're buying a house and you're going to flip houses, you want to look at affordability. You know, can people afford these homes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the same way, we look at job growth and incomes. Our incomes growing, our, our uh, population growth going. So, mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. And yeah, the, what drives population growth is jobs, right? Jobs, companies, new businesses. And, you know, when new jobs or new employment is there, more population comes, right? So it's yeah, like, or kind of that. sometimes it's natural disasters. Natural I mean, think disasters. about Katrina, think about, you know, a lot of those hurricanes in the Caribbean, you know, those, that drove a lot of folks to, you know, South Florida or to, you know, from Louisiana to Texas. I'll think about it in a second, but there's a great book out there that talks about population growth. I'll mention it here in a moment when I think about it, but the data is really not that hard for people to find free data out there. And, and I would also say to the smaller investor, Mm-hmm. Just look to what the bigger guys are doing. If you see some guy, if you see somebody building a, you know, a high rise, you know, multifamily deal or a mid rise or, you know, putting up a type three, type four, type five construction apartment deal, which is a wood stick frame 
you know, like they're doing it because they have third party data that tells them that they, that's convincing their lenders and yeah. their, their equity that they should be building in that market. It's no different than, you know, where Walmart puts up Walmarts or where big boxes put up big boxes. They put them up, they don't put them up in, in play remote areas where there's no demand. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't yeah, say that's, that's the greatest single, but it's a good factor. Yeah, the feasibility studies that they complete, mm-hmm. I've only really completed two, but I when I paid for them, I was like, you know, 10 to 15 grand. And I paid, you know, this feasibility study and they tell you like this 150 page report on, hey, this zip code and, and why it's going to be good or not. And the banks required it and the banks wanted it for some new development stuff we were doing. But yeah, it, you know, like you said, you see it going up. Someone already convinced the bank. The bank said, yep, I agree. This is a good spot. So, you know, if you're buying in the area or that, you know, it's, it's just like a following in a Starbucks or a new McDonald's or something like that, right? Yeah, you might. Brian knows, Brian and some of my other business partners know me really well because I'm always getting a quad espresso at Starbucks and they see it when I, you know, expense all these Starbucks runs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, one of the first uh, questions when I'm walking through a deal is, because we, we have investment committees and, you know, our, my business partners are, there's a great verse that says something like in the midst of, you know, there, there's, there's wisdom in the midst of a lot of counselors or, or counselors. And mm-hmm. so that's basically how my business partners, you know, I know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. I know Brian knows that of himself. I mean, but together we're a full force multiplier together. And so we look at every single deal so one of us has got to look at it and one of us has got to go kick the tires and has got to go find out if there's a Starbucks down the street, because it's a good indicator, at least to us that, Hey, there's, you know, people can afford a three, four, $5 coffee. So listen, I'm going to give this nugget of wisdom to the smaller investor, which is if you're concerned about which markets you should be in, all you have to do is go find a bigger guy, like a bigger multifamily operator, 100 units, 200 units, that's doing a serious renovation plan. And if they're doing a serious renovation plan, they could draft off of those smart, smarter guys, okay? So said in other ways, if you know of a, a project that's being renovated exterior and interior, I'd go buy a four-unit close by and do something similar the renovation scope, something similar and drive the rents. So, you know, this business isn't, I went to a state school. I didn't go to Stanford. So mm-hmm. plagiarizing yeah. or copying what other yeah. people are doing and just making a better mousetrap is, you know, is what we've done. Yeah. And yeah. So, uh, I love that from real estate is that I've interviewed a lot of successful teams, individuals, you know, just tons of success. And for the most part, you know, a lot of people describe themselves, you know, s- similar to this where, you know, oh, if I can do it, you can do it. I'm just an average guy. And I figured this part out and, you know, with enough persistence, dedication and time and effort. And, you know, it's just one foot in front of another. Right. And, and you, we can absolutely have success just like, just what, like you. Exactly. One of yeah. Brian's greatest questions when, you know, when I'm presenting a deal to him and the CFO is yeah. what are the two best renovated comps in the marketplace. So what are the two best comps? If I'm looking at a deal on one, two, three Oak street, that's where my in-laws live in Napa. One, two, three Oak street, one, two, three, four Oak street. 
And yeah. if I'm looking at one, two, three Oak street and my thesis is to, I'm going to renovate every single in- interior unit and exterior unit, Brian and, and the CFO will always ask who are the two best renovated comps? Because you're really trying to project future rents, right? You're saying that you're going to grow the rents in a value add scenario where you buy an asset and you throw a bunch of CapEx at it to move the rents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Brian or Brian, the CFO will always ask who are the two best renovated comps? So I'm always prepared. I'm always prepared to say, Hey, you know, this widget that's right around the corner or half a mile away or two miles away mm-hmm. in an inferior location. We always say is, is it an inferior location or superior location or comparable location. We always try to gauge ourselves, our future selves against what's already proven in the marketplace. Okay. So at one, two, three, four Oak street, we want to spend, I don't know, $8,000 a unit on the inside and grow the rents 250 bucks. Tell me, the CFO will say, tell me who in the marketplace has already proved that out or you just throw on a dart. We've all learned that, you know, we, we're just not, we're not dart throwers. We're, we, yeah. we it's just about the facts. Yeah. And that's what's, you know, the empirical facts of the case are everything. We, you could be lucky some of the times, but you can't be lucky all of the times with your gut. Mm-hmm. And so you got to look at facts. So, yeah. well, if, if you want to continue on this part for us, um, I know, like you said, you just keep talking, my friend. So what other gems do you have for us that we should be, you know, doing, watching, and, and maybe, you know, you've got this, a ton of financial kind of analysis, accounting background, all of the numbers, all of those things. Maybe you can, you know, give us a few things that we should be aware of, think of, you know, when we're buying new deals you know, specifically like multifamily commercial assets? Well, let's see. The first thing is, is there's a, there's a difference between, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but there's a difference between alpha and beta. And if you ever heard those terms uh, before, alpha is where you, in not so many, in simplistic terms, alpha is generated when you, you actively work on a widget and create value by the energy of your hands. Beta is just kind of, falling asleep and you know you're gonna make betas like your savings account alphas like you know actively trading stocks and being purposely or intentional about it so as it relates to multifamily as it relates to multifamily we are at praxis capital we are value add multifamily sponsors Mm -hmm. which is fancy words to describe we buy multifamily and fix them up hold them and we sell them one day. We don't say we're buying holders or buying flippers. We're mm-hmm. buying watchers. We're yeah. buying the watchers. And we put appropriate debt on, which is super important here. We put the, the appropriate debt on that's going to allow us to effectuate the buy and watch strategy. So as I mentioned early, early on, we don't put short-term debt on deals. We don't say we're going to be in and out of this deal and in three years. We can't time the market. I mean, we, we go to third-party reports and try to predict the future, but who can predict the future? Tomorrow is promised to no man. So we want debt and equity that's going to give us the flexibility to be in and out of a deal if the market tells us to, or ride out an adverse market cycle, meaning, mm-hmm. which kind of like, you know, we were kind of in 
you know, during the pandemic, you know, the early parts of the pandemic, which was like, which way was up back in March and April and May, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if this business is going to be here, you know, in 2021 or whatever. And, but boy, it, it came back, you know, it came back relatively quick. It's not a hundred percent back. There's still structural issues. It's more like a butterfly flying than it is a migratory bird. If that makes sense. The butterfly flying, he kind of like, if you follow a butterfly kind of, you know, it's still in the air and it kind of dances around in the sky, migratory birds, you could predict, you know, which way they're going. We are value add sponsors, meaning we don't buy deals just to sit on them and do nothing. We're active participants. If we were to buy, this business is the same, whether it's what you're doing, Abel, what somebody is buying a four unit or I'm buying a 250 units, you know, it's almost the same, just more or less zeros. So what we're doing is buying it. We're creating value by renovating the interiors and the exteriors and growing rents. And that's alpha. Beta is what you get when you just sit around after years two, three, four, if you hold it that long, and rents grow just because of normal rental growth in that market. Mm -hmm. So we chase alpha and we're like a lot of people do. We're very intentional with uh, digging up what the alpha is. And to that point, you know, we need to, alpha needs to be illustrated in a marketplace. Is somebody else out there doing what we'd like to do, which is, are they, are they putting uh, granite counters or quartz countertops in the interiors and how much are they getting for it? Are yeah. they putting stainless steel appliances? Are they putting, you know, new lighting, new fixtures, new interior doors, new, you know, base and case, you know, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but you could get to the, you could get to the uh, nth degree on how much, you know, new hardware is going to get you. Is it going to get you $10 more in rent or not? You know, or is the consumer going to pay for the upgrades that you're going to do? And the best indicator is, Hey, the guy down the street's doing it and he's getting a hundred dollars. So why don't we do it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is good stuff, Forrest. This is all good insights and all good wisdoms. And I think that these are very practical things that any one of you listening, whether you're a general partner or, you know, a limited partner, passive investor that's trying to, you know, look at your own investment and size it up a little bit and see if it could work, you know, and if, if you're investing out of state, then, you know, maybe you're on apartments.com and looking through pictures and looking through their rents and, you know, calling them. And if you're a general partner and your boots on the ground, this is you, you know, pretending to be uncle looking for a new apartment for your nephew or niece to rent. So that's why you're in there looking at uh, apartment complexes and looking at new units when you're talking to uh, pretending to be somebody else. But those are the things that we're looking at, right? Is like, look at the comps, check it out. And, you know, it's not rocket science. It does have a couple of commas, like you said, commas and zeros, but it's, it's not rocket science. I have $700, $800 in rent. I'm in Texas, San Antonio. And, you know, the guy down the street's charging 950. What's the difference? And will I pay for that? And can I improve mine to get from 750 right. to eight, $800, right? I'm not getting the 950. It's not new, but can I get to eight? And that, if so, I like the way you said it, alpha and beta. I describe it as active as passive. In active, I trade time for money. I go create it. And then I try to put any seed money I have 50K at a time and go stick it in the next passive investment so that I get some beta movement. But I love it. I love all this stuff, Forrest. And 
you know, I try not to interrupt, but I, I'm, I'm so excited because I usually do. I just wanted to let you know, get so many insights. One of the things that you mentioned, which I love, and maybe we could, you know, kind of wrap up with, you mentioned a quote and I looked, I did a quick Google and I'm like, oh, that's scripture. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And I love that. So I think we initially met or, you know, I, I think I pinged you, vice versa, or doing a little LinkedIn, you know, liking and engaging and you're sharing, you know, a little bit of your faith. And if I can, what, what role do you think that's played in your success? Maybe illuminate this because I have a feeling I know what the answer is, but maybe for those listeners, share a little bit. Well, awesome. yeah, I appreciate that. Abel. You know, to me, it's everything. It, and it, it took a long time to figure that out. Like I said, I went to a state school and, you know, I, I didn't quite figure it out that quickly. But boy, I mean, all my successes have been from the Lord, even, you know, some of the failures. I, I lost at the market turn. I lost $20 million and I lost pretty much almost anything. As a matter of fact, everything. I had to uh, actually call my Pebble Beach caddy, if you could believe that, friend, who I loaned him a car and I forgot that I loaned him a car years ago. And I needed to get that car back because I didn't. Ha- I had to sell everything because I didn't market have market turn of what year? Market turn when? In 08, you know, between 08 and 2011, you know, I I was working out of a lot of deals and and I, you know, I lost everything. I lost 20 million dollars. But like I said early on, you know, I just remember you know grabbing my wife's hand and just saying, "Okay, we just prayed," and and I just said, "Okay, we need to, we're going to get out of this at some point." So you know, it it took a while. But you never forget how you made it. You never forget how you lost it. And when you lost it or some you know, fraction thereof, I mean, you just can't quit. And I'll tell you that, you know, answer this. I'll answer your question by, yeah, my faith is everything. It just, it's just 100% everything. And a story that I'll, that I'll tell you that's plagiarized from a billionaire that I used to work for. Uh, he said, uh, you know, I was, I was buying a car for my, my, uh, one of my nieces and I was at this Toyota dealership and the, and this salesman comes up to me and he says, Oh, and he recognized who, who this billionaire was and the salesman and in broken English or not the best English, the, the Vietnamese salesman says, Hey, I know who you are. You're, you're wealthy American industrialist. You know, I mean, I'm, putting words into the story here, but it was similar the spirit of it's the same. And he said, I came to this country, you know, on a boat, you know, from Vietnam and not too long ago. And, and, and he's like, I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. You're a billionaire. And, and he says, what's the secret of success? And the billionaire that I worked for is like, Oh shit, I could be here all day talking about, about what it means to be successful. And this kid wants one word. And so the billionaire says, this is the true story. The billionaire says, if you're committed, you'll be successful. Doesn't mean that you won't fail, but if you're committed, you'll keep on making, you'll keep on shooting those free throws until you start making them and you'll keep on doing it and keep on doing it. And that's it. And that billionaire was a billionaire, lost a billion, made a billion, lost a billion. I mean, like, and it's just, it's something to, it's, you know, market cycles have a way of wiping you out if you're over leveraged and have short-term debt. I can't overemphasize that enough. And at Praxis, we're just, we're longer term debt guys, lower leverage, and we have the flexibility to get in and out of our debt, you know, anytime after the first year. And I'll expand on that for a second, which is, and I'm getting away from the point like I normally do, but, but the floating rate debt 
or an adjustable mortgage for those of you in residential more uh, real estate, we do an adjustable rate mortgage versus a fixed rate mortgage. And the reason why is because if you take floating rate debt and the terms that we usually get seven to 10 years, you're allowed to sell your deal anytime after the first year without a prepayment penalty. And people will say, Oh, you know, the interest rate would spike and blah, blah, blah. And well, one, we buy an interest rate cap, which means it could only go up so high before it converts, the adjustable converts to fixed anyways. But, and then I could argue that we're in a protracted low interest rate environment almost forever. I could argue that, but the flexibility is the greatest thing because, you know, I love these guys who get into fixed rate short-term debt and they get into a 10-year fixed rate deal, which with, with the interest rate that's relatively, which is good. And I love how after two years, they're like, oh man, we really need to sell, you know, the price on, you know, in this deal has really skyrocketed. Let's sell. So they go to sell, they put it on the market and then they calculate what's basically the, the pre the penalty. yield maintenance the, will get you. <laughs> yield maintenance monster is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yield maintenance monster, defeasance monster. And it's like, it could be millions and millions and millions of dollars of pre And you sit and look at that and you're like, oh, I could have had that, those millions of dollars in my pocket and not go to the prepayment penalty. Mm-hmm. So uh, flexibility and lower leverage and term, longer term, are the greatest things that, that I like about floating rate debt. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Forrest. Is there anything we didn't talk about today that you wanted to highlight, you wanted to bring some exposure to? We talked briefly about a book. So anything in general, and also anybody that's looking to sell a deal or wanted to invest, I think Forrest uh, has the same, oh, Forrest and his team at Praxis, they have the same 80-20 rule that I talk about all the time, which is when people ask me what I really do, and I go, well, man, you know, 80% of my profits come from 20% of my results. And that's find new investors and find new deals that work. So money yep. and deals. So if you guys have any of those for Forrest and Praxis, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. But anything else we want to bring some exposure to Forrest? Anything that I well, didn't ask about you're hoping to talk about? Well, I would say, you know, Brian Burke is really the secret of our, you know, current partnership. And uh, Brian's written a couple of books. Brian's a lot more clear-minded than I am in these podcasts. And I would say if you, if you really want a book to get, it's buy one of Brian's books. I, I think uh, his latest one is called The Hands-Off Investor, uh, I think. You know, buy one of his books, follow Brian, follow Abel, get as much information. You know, I go back to that, I go back to that verse about, you know, finding uh, wisdom in the multitude of counselors. You can't have enough, but you could have so much that you don't walk into. If you want to get hit by the cash bus, you got to walk into the middle of the street. So which means you, you got you got to do. You got to act. Gotta do. I love it. Yep. You got to yep. act. I just, you know, thanks, Abel. Like I said, I could be here all day talking about this subject. It's the only thing. You know, it's, it's Jesus. It's multifamily. It's my family. You know, I mean, these are the only things I really know. So yeah. thanks for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. I know you're going to bring a lot of value to our listeners and our guests. So we appreciate it and hope to have you uh, maybe on the show or at one of our meetups, bring you out and talk to a few other people about uh, these subjects are amazing subjects. I love them also. So thanks a lot. Hey, the last thing I want to clarify, I appreciate that. The last thing I want to clarify is 
is that at Praxis Capital, mm-hmm. the five of us put together have over 100,000 units worth of experience, not <laughs> just 20,000, it's 100,000. So thanks for having me and I look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Absolutely. Forrest, where do we reach out to you if we're trying to get into your world a little bit more? What's the best place? Is it just the website? Find me on LinkedIn. Or- yeah, yeah, find me on LinkedIn, go to the Praxis website. But on LinkedIn, if you just send me a, a friend invite, I'll fr- I friend everybody. I I return, you know, LinkedIn texts, you know, every couple of days. And if you really want to chat with me, I give everybody at least 15 minutes. If I like you, I know it sounds crazy, but if I like you, I'll give you more. And just, you know, it's just all a function of my schedule, but I give everybody 15 minutes. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to it and appreciate your time. All right, brother. Amazing. Have a great day. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from other industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want a copy of our Passive Investor's Guide, Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. It's the guide we use to invest in $93 million of commercial real estate. It's a 65-page ebook. It's a great resource to learn the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications. And we're going to show you how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm going to give you a free copy. So take a moment to do that now. We'd appreciate it. And then you can register for the book at 5tcre.com forward slash ebook 5tcre.com forward slash ebook let us know and we're going to send you a copy thank you so much for subscribing to the five talents podcast